Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the great doctrines of the Christian faith using the Belgic Confession of Faith as our guide. Last time we learned who God is and what He is like in light of Article 1 of this confession. And today, with the Lord's help, we want to consider how God has revealed Himself to man. To that end, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, and we'll read the entire psalm. Hear God's holy word. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever." The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of it to our hearts. Dear friends, can you and I know God? Last time in this series, we considered who God is, and we learned that God is one only simple and spiritual being, and we also learned what he is like. We learned that he is eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, immutable, infinite, almighty, perfectly wise, just, good, and the overflowing fountain of all good. But now the question is, can we know this God? And if so, how? Now that's a very important question. One theologian writes this, and I quote, Religion presupposes knowledge of God and is impossible without such knowledge. No one would think of serving God if he did not know there was a God. And no one can serve God adequately without knowing who God is and what is pleasing to him. End quote. So, can we know God? Well, the answer to that question is yes. First John 5, verse 20, John writes, And we know that the Son of God is come 
and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And in John 17, verse 3, Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, prays that his people might know God and his Son, Jesus Christ, which he says is eternal life. And so the scriptures are clear. We can indeed know God. But we can never know him completely, at least not in this life. In Job 11, verses 7 and 9, Job asks, Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? And the implied answer to Job's question is no. And similarly, in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11, the Apostle Paul writes, The Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. So we can know God, but only insofar as he is pleased to reveal himself. Now that raises the question, of course, how has God revealed himself? By what means has it pleased God to reveal himself to sinful man? Well, that's the subject that's addressed in Article 2 of the Belgic Confession of Faith. And there we confess as follows. We know him, that is, we know God, by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, which is before our eyes as a most elegant book, wherein all creatures, great and small, are as so many characters, leading us to contemplate the invisible things of God, namely his eternal power and divinity, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1, verse 20. All which things are sufficient to convince men and to leave them without excuse. Secondly, he makes himself more clearly and fully known to us by his holy and divine word. That is to say, as far as is necessary for us to know in this life to his glory and our salvation. Well, it's to this article that we want to turn our attention with God's help today. So my theme is the self-revelation of God the self-revelation of God. We'll see that he reveals himself, first of all, in the world, and secondly, in the word. In the world and in the word. In order to worship and serve God, we must know him. But in order to know him, he must reveal himself. Now, wonderfully, God has chosen to do so. In fact, he has chosen to do so using two means. And the first of these means is the world, or the creation. In our confession, in Article 2, we confess we know him first by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe. Now, three statements are made here. First of all, we know God by the creation of the universe. And isn't that true? When you look at the world around you, when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, the trees, the flowers, the mountains, the lakes, the rivers, the insects and animals, and man himself and all of his incredible complexity. No rational person can believe that all these things came into existence by chance. They must have been created by God. And so God reveals himself in the things that he has made. Secondly, we confess here that God reveals himself in the preservation of of the universe. The fact that the planets maintain their orbits around the sun, that the seasons follow upon each other with precise regularity, that the plants and animals and human beings procreate after their kind, 
that one season follows after another, all these things testify to the fact that God exists and that he is actively upholding and maintaining his creation. Thirdly, we confess here that God reveals himself in the government of the universe. And by that we mean that God reveals himself in history and in the affairs of men. So when you study history, you cannot help but see that God is clearly directing the affairs of men in order to accomplish his purposes. And that all of history is moving towards a goal, which is the second coming of Christ and the final consummation of all things. Now, although the creation does not reveal everything there is to know about God, and although it certainly does not reveal to us everything we need to know, for example, the creation does not tell us how we can be saved, it does reveal that he exists and that he is upholding and governing all things. Someone once said that studying the creation is like tracing God's footprints in the sand. We may not be able to see him, but we know that he's there. In fact, our confession compares God's revelation of himself in creation to a most beautiful book, wherein all creatures, great and small, are so many letters leading us to perceive clearly the invisible things of God. Now, that's exactly what the scriptures teach. Earlier we read from Psalm 19, and in the first four verses of that psalm, David describes the revelation of God in creation. He writes, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. So David here portrays the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets as an eloquent preacher proclaiming the existence and attributes of God. But as more, this proclamation continues, he says, day after day. Every day is a new sermon on the same theme and it's preached throughout the entire world and in a language that all men everywhere can understand. The Apostle Paul echoes that same truth in Romans 1 verse 20. There Paul says that the invisible things of him that is of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So Paul here says that the creation reveals some of the invisible attributes of God, namely his power and his Godhead. What is more, this revelation is so clear that it leaves all men without excuse. In other words, no one can stand before God on the day of judgment and say that he or she did not know that he existed, for he clearly revealed himself to them. Now, sadly, however, because of his fall into sin, man no longer acknowledges God. Man, by nature, is blind and ignorant, and he's at enmity with God. He cannot and does not perceive God in the creation at all. In fact, he does everything in his power to suppress that knowledge. Paul writes, that about, writes about that too in Romans chapter 1. There he says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So Paul is telling us here that God is angry. What's he angry about? Well, he's angry about the fact that God has clearly revealed himself to man in the things that he has made, even his eternal power and Godhead. But man refuses to acknowledge him. Why? Because by nature he is at enmity 
with man. Man hates God and wants to have nothing whatsoever to do with him. And that makes God angry. They're holding the truth, that is the truth of the revelation of God in creation, in unrighteousness. And as a result, God has given man over to two sins. And Paul mentions them both in Romans chapter 1. The first is idolatry. Paul says in verses 21 to 23 that those who suppress the knowledge of God became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So God gave man over to idolatry. But secondly, Paul says he gave them over to immorality. We read about that in verses 26 to 32, where Paul says that God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their heir, which was meat. And he goes on to say, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. The point is, the reason why men deny the revelation of God in general revelation is not because of some defect in general revelation. We've seen that God has clearly revealed himself in the creation that he has made, so clearly, in fact, that it leaves all men without excuse. The problem is not, the, is not with the creation. The problem is with man. There's a defect in man. Man's mind has become darkened. He neither sees nor does he care to see what God has clearly revealed of himself in the world that he has made. In fact, he actively suppresses this revelation. He denies what he knows in his heart of hearts to be true. Nor will any amount of persuasion or evidence or arguments convince him otherwise. The only way that the natural man will come to acknowledge the existence of God is by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must open our eyes. Unless he does that, we will remain in spiritual darkness and blindness. Well, let me ask you today, has the Spirit of God opened your eyes? You know, if you don't believe in God today, I have to tell you that God is angry with you. For he has clearly revealed himself to you in the things that he has made. And to reject that revelation is not only foolish, it is immoral, for it contradicts the facts. And as long as you persist in your unbelief, you will surely perish. But this truth also serves as a clear admonishment to believers. Child of God, you are richly privileged in that you see what the vast majority of people on earth do not see. 
You see the revelation of God in creation. Now let me ask you, what are you doing with that revelation? When you behold the creation and all of its beauty and complexity, do you glorify and praise God? Does it also confirm your faith in Him? Can you say with the hymn writer today, This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, His hand the wonders wrought. Is that your song? when you look at the world around you. My friend, don't be led astray by the claims and the arguments of atheists and agnostics. We believe what we know, and we see the evidence all around us. God exists. He has clearly revealed himself in the creation, preservation, and government of the universe. But that is not all. Not only has God clearly revealed himself to us in the world, he has even more clearly, clearly revealed himself to us in his holy word. And that brings me to my second point. We've seen that God has clearly revealed himself in the creation. Now, we need to be careful that we don't read too much into this. And some have done that. For example, the Roman Catholic Church, building on the work of the medieval theologian Thomas Aquinas, the Roman Catholic Church maintains that man, by means of unaided human reason, can deduce all that he needs to know about God and salvation simply by observing the world around him. And we call that natural theology. But that's forcing general revelation to say too much. While God clearly does reveal himself in general revelation, even some of his invisible attributes, general revelation in and of itself does not say everything there is to know nor does it reveal everything we need to know about God. More specifically, it doesn't reveal, for example, the Trinity, nor does it reveal the Lord Jesus Christ as the only mediator between God and man, nor does it reveal how and why we must be saved. For that, we need another kind of revelation. We need special revelation. Now you say, what is special revelation? Well, special revelation is any form of direct revelation of God to man. Throughout the centuries, God has revealed himself to men in various ways. He has revealed himself in theophanies. A theophany is a visible manifestation of God to man. So especially in the Old Testament, God revealed himself in the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. He revealed himself in smoke and stormy winds and in the angel of the Lord. These are all theophanies of God. He has also revealed himself in direct communications. For example, when God appeared to his prophets in a dream or a vision, or when the high priest used the Urim and the Thummim to discern the will of God. He's revealed himself, too, in, in the miracles that he performs. Now, contrary to what many people today think, miracles were not meant simply to amaze us. They were not simply demonstrations of the power of God. They were that, but they were more than that. They were special manifestations of God's presence. And what is more, they often communicated spiritual truth. They were signs of the coming of God's kingdom and the redemptive power of God. And at times they served to confirm his word. And that's why miracles, strictly speaking, no longer occur today. I know there's lots of Christians out there who think that miracles still do occur, but not, not strictly defined. Now, to be sure, God sometimes does amazing things. Things that simply cannot be explained by science. But they're not miracles, strictly speaking, because they don't serve to reveal something about God. 
All that God has chosen to reveal about himself is contained in nature and in his word. Nor do these miracles or these these unexplained events confirm his word because the scriptures are complete and therefore they need no confirmation. So the the question arises, how then does God reveal himself to man today? Well, he does so in his holy and infallible word. The Bible, the word of God, is the par excellence of the book of special revelation. No other form of special revelation is more powerful or more comprehensive than the word that he himself has given. As such, it's superior to general revelation. And our confession states that very clearly when it says that God makes himself more clearly and fully known to us by his holy and divine word. Special revelation reveals God more clearly and more fully than general revelation, at least to those who are enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Now notice, this doesn't mean that the Bible contains everything there is to know. It doesn't. Many questions remain. There are many things we simply don't know about. But it does contain everything we need to know. Our confession says that too. He makes himself more clearly and fully known to us by his holy and divine word, that is to say, as far as is necessary for us to know in this life to his glory and our salvation. Now, Specifically, the Bible reveals to us how we can be saved, namely through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. And it also reveals to us how we are to live in this life to God's glory. Only the word of God reveals that to us. Now, does that mean that general revelation isn't necessary? No, it's not. No, it doesn't mean that at all. Both general and special revelation work together and complement each other. We need general revelation to properly understand special revelation. For example, we would never understand why David in Psalm 8 asks the question, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Unless we with him consider God's heavens, the work of his fingers, the moon and the stars which he has ordained. You see, the two things go together. Nor would we understand various parables, like the parable of the sower, the parable of the barren fig tree, or the parable of the vine and the branches, unless we understand something of horticulture. Similarly, we need special revelation to properly understand general revelation. John Calvin said that in order to read the book of general revelation, we need the glasses of special revelation. And by that he meant that man with his own unaided human reason, apart from the enlightening power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God, will never arrive at a true knowledge of God. For that he needs the word of God. The point is we need both general and special revelation. We can't have the one without the other. But of the two, special revelation reveals God more fully and more clearly. Now that is also revealed to us in Psalm 19, which we read earlier. You notice how in that psalm, David, after observing the revelation of God in creation in verses 1 to 4, goes on to speak about the law or the word of God. And he says several things about the law. He says it converts, it makes wise the simple, it rejoices the heart, it enlightens the eyes. Now general revelation can't do any of those things. Only special revelation can do that. Special revelation picks up where general revelation leaves off. 
It reveals things that we could not know in any other way, things that are vital to our salvation, things we cannot live without, not least of which is the Lord Jesus Christ and his person and his work. My friend, do you realize that today? Do you realize how vital special revelation is for us? Without it, we couldn't be saved. We, We would be forever lost. But God in his mercy comes to us and he reveals himself to us and how we can be saved in his holy and infallible word. Now, since that is so, beloved, let us treasure it with all of our hearts. Let us read it. Let us study it. Let us meditate upon it as often as we can. And most of all, let us do what it says. Why should we do this? Because ultimately it is the word of Christ. He is the ultimate form of special revelation, isn't he? The writer to the Hebrews says as much in Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, when he says that God at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the prophets, unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. And so we learn that all the words of the prophets find their ultimate fulfillment in Christ. He is the ultimate and final word of God. It's for that reason that he's called in Scripture the Word. And he's called that because he fully and completely reveals the will of God to man. And so to love the Word is to love Christ. To obey the Word is to obey Christ. To live by the Word is to live by Christ. Oh, have you also responded to him? Have you repented? Have you believed on him? And are you living for him every day of your life? How terrible to have been exposed to both general and special revelation, and yet not to be saved. In such cases, all the knowledge we have gained will only testify against us and cause us to suffer even greater punishment in hell. Oh, may that not be so for any of you today. Rather, use what God has given to seek after him with all of your heart and finding him to also live for him all the days of your life to the glory of God and the salvation of your soul. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at Banner of Truth, that's all one word, Banner of Truth at frcna.org. For those who take the time to write, I will gladly send you a free copy of the Belgic Confession of Faith so that you can more easily follow along as I explain each of its 37 articles. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.com. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station 
you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can visit the donation section of our webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Please remember that the Lord would have his people come together to worship him. And for that reason, we urge you not to use this or any other radio program as a substitute for being an active, contributing member of a faithful, Bible-believing church. Thank you for listening. And now, until next week, may the Lord be with you all.